welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the first off official off season. We Full are, off season. We are in the off season. The season is off now. The, uh, the flip, the switch has been flipped. It is in the off and locked and upright position. All right, so I am joined, as always, you heard him there, by the Batman to my Nightwing. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm fine. Yeah, I just know you like Batman a lot, so I thought I'd make you Batman. This is a psychotropic podcast hallucinogen. Okay, now I said I wasn't going to acknowledge this, but uh, but uh, I'm going to already because I think Eric will be extra mad that we're talking about Batman while, <laughs> while he's not here. The the time the t- Eric couldn't make it because of the snow. Yeah, uh, Eric is held up by Mr. Freeze. Yeah, Mr. Freeze has has <laughs> taken him hostage. Um, Victor Freeze has taken the whole of the North. He's actually he's hostage. actually teamed up with the Penguin. He's like, arr, 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 right in front of Eric's face, and he's very unhappy right now. Okay. So um, Eric's going to join us probably for a, he's either going to text us comments or a, a stinger for movie club, but uh, that's a teaser for later. But due to Snowpocalypse 2019, because we don't believe in icing the roads in Washington State, uh, we decided to record early because Nathan and uh, I have no school since they closed it down. Yeah, and uh, by the time we go to leave the podcast, it'll probably be a skating rink trying to get home. Exactly. So instead of dying in a fiery wreck, we decided to record at two in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah, so here we go. Yeah, we're trying to keep Kevin alive. That's that's our new goal. Uh, so let's let's start with uh, let's go over like our our I'm gonna go over our roadmap for the off season uh, as it as it were. So um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna start off with uh with a couple weeks of two two weeks one week where we review the def- the defense as it stands. Uh, then the offense as it stands. Think of it like an autopsy of the season, yeah, not gonna... necessarily going in depth on position groups. No, and then so then after we finish those, we'll do our draft preview stuff. Uh, me and Kevin have already started deep diving. We have a couple uh, little nuggets there today of guys we think that might be good fit for the Seahawks, and then um, and then as we move on from that, we will uh, we'll do our uh, individual position groups um, post draft, and then we'll do our division previews. And you know you know the you know the drill. You've been here for two years. I'm free sure agency will be somewhere in there, probably right after the autopsies. Free agency comes with every position group. If you so what we do is we try to give you the free agents we might pick. Anyway, we'll see. It'll happen. <laughs> Just let it happen. <laughs> Just let it happen. The implications. Okay. All right, here we go. Defense. Let's get into it. Um, I'm going to start off with the defensive line. Uh, the defensive line players that we broke down, we got um, that played defensive snaps for the Seahawks this year. Frank Clark, Quentin Jefferson, Rasheem Green, Brandon Jackson, Deion Jordan, Jaron Reed, Shamar Steven, Puna Ford, and Naz Jones. Kevin, give me a star and a, and a scrub. Someone that you were disappointed by Okay, for this season. So Frank Clark uh, is somebody who I don't think it can be over overstated how well he did. As far as I, I think, if you're just talking pure star, he was the star of the defense. He was he was Mister Do Everything. Uh, you know, he had 40 hurries. He had 14 sacks. He had 31 run stops. Uh, he even had a pick. Dude did it all. Yeah. So so your your stars, uh, Frank Clark. Frank Clark had uh, 14 sacks. Uh, 40 hurries, which is absurd. 31 run stops. Just he did a work in every phase of the game. It wasn't like a just a pass rush only guy, right? He comes in, he he makes the makes it happen in the run game and the pass game, which is all you can really ask for from a defensive end like him. Especially somebody who's playing a ton of snaps. And this yeah. is something we talked about during the Bennett Averill era, trying to rotate your defensive ends through and keeping them fresh. But we were relying on Clark heavily, and so he kept up some pretty strong efficiency numbers while playing way too many snaps. All right, my star is Quentin Jefferson. And I think you knew this was coming. Uh, Quentin Jefferson um, is my star because we asked him to do a lot of different things. A lot of different things. He played 53 snaps at left defensive tackle. 
93 snaps at right defensive tackle, 152 snaps at left end, 130 snaps at right end. He played 66 snaps. You know, you get the point. He, we played him at every different defensive line position that the Seahawks have available. What is it? He didn't play over 160 snaps at any one position? He played position? 601 snaps total and played no more than 152 at any single position. That's, he even got snaps, three snaps at linebacker, uh, strangely. Uh, <laughs> box linebacker, like, like left linebacker, right linebacker. I don't know what was going on there. I'm, I kind of want to go back to the film and try the to The one find. where he's playing middle linebacker. We decided we're going to hunt that one down. Yeah, week two, he has one middle linebacker Patreon, snap. get ready. We're going to break that down. I must find this snap. <laughs> uh, so, but I mean, here's the thing. He wasn't like the best. Quentin Jefferson was not a, a great NFL player. He's an above, simply an above average one. But we asked him to do a million different things, and he did them all fine. Uh, and that I think that's a really commendable thing. This is the kind of guy I'd love to see us bring back on a, you know, a team-friendly contract and be a rotation player for the next three, four years. Yeah, when we pulled him out of the NFL draft out of Maryland, uh, I kind of compared him to a Michael Bennett at the time. He was around a 270-pound guy who could play defensive end or slide inside to defensive tackle. But as we were talking about before the podcast, I think really he's becoming more of a Red Bryant type, where he's an above-average run defender. He's not hurting you on pass rush downs, but the big thing is he can come in and add flexibility and depth all across the defensive line, right, on first, which is value on roster building. On first down, you can give anyone a breather with Quentin Jefferson. You could say, oh, Quentin, go in for Frank on this play. Oh, Quentin, go in for Jaron on this play, because those guys need to get a breather. We need want you to go in for, on first down for those guys. Um, and that, that's a really valuable thing. Um, now, Eric, Eric's here. And uh, he's he's doing his Brett impression. So hey guys, uh, uh, you know my star was Puna Ford. Puna Ford was a run. G- okay, I can't do it any longer. <laughs> but uh, Puna Ford, we would be stupid not to bring him up. Fourteen run stops on just two hundred and sixty-five snaps. Hold on, hold on, hold. On. <laughs> Puna Ford's stat line is dumb. Fourteen run stops on two hundred and sixty-five snaps. By comparison, only. Shamar Steven had thirteen run stops on five hundred and thirty-eight snaps. Yeah, so one, and he wasn't bad at run defense. One of these are like a lot better than the <laughs> other, though. So, so that's well. If Puna Ford managed that across an entire season, Puna Ford would have been the best run stopping defensive tackle in the NFL. Yeah, the, I think um, people people are, would talk about him the way they talk about Snacks Harrison. It'd be like a like a similar thing. So if, wait, he's he's like five eleven. Could he be like the mini snack pack? So Snacks Harrison. <laughs> He got runs. He got run stops on you know fourteen point three percent of his plays while he was in New York and seventeen percent while he was in Detroit, which is absurd, by the way. Uh, Puna Ford got run stops on twelve point six percent of his plays, which puts him in seventh in the NFL, tied with Kwan Short. The guy's mm-hmm. a run stopping machine. Yeah, not bad for a uh, UDFA. And you figure maybe some of that efficiency drops. Maybe it doesn't, but maybe it does. But if, if you're, you're over ten percent for a guy that you're paying that little, right. and give him like you know three four hundred snaps. If it drops under 10%, he's still in the top 30 for all positions in the NFL. And you're paying him basically nothing from an NFL perspective. Correct. So, yeah, that that's um, that's pretty – he's pretty legit, just to say the least. So we, I just wanted to make sure you guys knew we weren't forgetting Puna Ford. All right. All right, we're going to talk about the bummers. Who's your scrub? Who's your bummer? Who, who bummed you out this year? All right. I'm going to bypass a few other people just because this is a player that I thought could be a complimentary piece right away, and that's Rasheem Green. Rasheem Green came in – looked overmatched pretty consistently. We knew that his pass rushing set was not complete, but I thought that he could be a little bit more of a presence, especially like a guy who could clean up the sack on like a coverage sack, something like that. He glimpsed the quarterback 
a handful of times. Came in with exactly one sack. Um, just six, was six never really one, very effective. One sack. Never got a hit on the, other than the sack. Uh, one he, thing I, he was he was a lot of not much. One harrowing stat: nine tackles, four missed tackles. Uh, that's, yeah, that's bad. That's not not uh, getting. That's not really uh, getting me going there. The uh, I miss half of almost as half as many tackles as I actually get. Yo, he got hurt. He uh, he clearly was going to need an adjustment to the way he's going to be used in the NFL. But I just thought we were going to get a little bit more out of him year one. I, I thought he was a player who's going to grow into his position but like right now i thought we were going to get like you know when you start getting like the little green wisps of a plant sticking out of the ground and it's going to grow into a flower or something right now it's just dirt he's still a seed yeah there's just there's just dirt you you think you planted something there but you don't remember maybe a little garden stake where you want to remind it so you don't till the soil See, what I would like a young player like him to do is just, like, dominate a phase of the game at least. Or, like, get be effective in a phase of the game. Like, Puno was effective against the run. He wasn't a great pass rusher yet, but, I mean, he doesn't need to be, right? And if he never becomes one, that's fine. fine. But, like... That's and, a rotation and defensive player. Lazare Jones, down. let's use him as another example. His rookie year, this last year was a little bit of a letdown. But his rookie year, he brushed the passer really well. He wasn't good at stopping the run yet, but he was already showing, like, glimpses of, hey, I can rush the pass from the, pass from the inside. Just Rasheem Green showed us kind of nothing. Uh, my disappointment in the defensive line was Dion Jordan. Um, we had high expectations for Dion as a uh, as a pass rusher. He was and, an efficient pass rusher last year, and he he just didn't do any pass rushing this year. He was actually a pretty decent run stopper, but only uh, eleven hurries, five hits, and two sacks on three hundred and thirty snaps. I mean, he was not much better of a pass rusher than Quentin Jefferson, who is someone we said was a, a slightly above average or serviceable pass rusher. We were not paying Deion Jordan to be a serviceable pass rusher. We needed something more. He did not show us the talent that made him the third overall pick in the NFL draft. And I think at this point, the injuries are have kind of overtaken um, what could have been a kind of special career. Um, maybe maybe he turns it around still. You know, he's still really young. He's still only 20. Eight. So, I mean, it's possible that he still turns it around, but he's running out of time. And he's running out of teams that are probably willing to give him chances. Yeah, I was about to say, and I'm not sure he's going to turn around here, because I think the team's probably ready to move on. We need somebody a little bit more stable. And yeah, Brandon Jackson's probably out, but I think Green, Jefferson, and Clark are all staying. So there's a good chance that Jordan ends up out as well. All right, Kevin, uh, we started our draft our draft uh, pr- process and uh, our, our scouting process. Is there anyone who's, who kind of jumped out to you as a guy you think the Seahawks might go for in a defensive line at, in the draft? So I think we both or agree someone that... You re- someone you really love. Yeah, I think we both agree that in the first or second round is where we want to see them go after that defensive uh, pass rushing prospect. Because it's hard to get... Uh, like you, you can get like a Jacob Martin later on, but you can't get a Frank Clark later on. So three guys I want to keep an eye on are Zach Allen out of Boston College, who's kind of an oversized defensive end, um, runs about six four two eighty, but he can get after the pass rush. Um, he's going to come in and immediately be a plus run stopping defensive end, but I think he can be a strong pass rusher as well. Uh, Chase Winovich out of Michigan, I think his stock is getting depressed because he was playing kind of a complementary role to Rashawn Gary in a lot of places, but I think his skill set translates really well to the NFL, and he's a guy who could be around uh, when we pick in the second round. Another guy who could be around when we pick in the second round is Austin Bryant out of Clemson, who has... Really good size, really good speed. He he has like a lot of above average traits, and I think he could end up being kind of a Cliff Averill type, where he flies under the radar a little bit, but is just a very productive player. 
and he was playing a complimentary piece again to like Colin Farrell and a really talented Clemson defensive line. But it's hard to tell like what Austin Bryant really is until you get him into your team. Like he, right? Like you, you it's hard. He, it's hard to separate out like. Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, uh, Colin Farrell, they, they all did it together, you know, and so it's hard to tell, like, hey, which one of these guys was the most important? A lot of people think Colin Farrell's the best one, but, I mean, it could be any of those guys, right? Yeah, and the big thing is Austin Bryant probably isn't the physical specimen that those guys are. So he might be able but, to get him later in the draft. So he's the one that they'll, uh, that they'll go, oh, well, he's the weak link in that. So he's probably the guy who's just mopping up. But sometimes those guys are a better productive player than people think. So... When I read scouting reports for Zach Allen, the funny thing is, is that they always bring up that one thing that I can never figure out, which is when they say he doesn't have good bend. I don't ever understand what that means, Kevin. And since you watch this stuff more than I do, can you explain to me what what is what is bend like? So, who's a player on the Seahawks that has good bend? So. Uh, <laughs> Frank Clark actually does not have exceptional bend, but he has probably the best bend out of anybody there. So bend is when a pass rusher goes up the field and then turns the corner on a right uh, on a tackle. Oh, and they have to be able to How like, be flexible. How tight can they turn? Yeah. So like you see those oh, guys Jacob who Martin's almost get Jacob Martin is good at this. Okay. Uh, so when you get a guy who his shoulder almost gets parallel to the ground and he's bent at the ankle. So it's almost like he's uh, doing that Michael Jackson uh, dance move where you like stand with your feet on the floor and you bend all in one direction, only doing that on the run without losing balance or power. So people will talk about two things. They'll go, okay, does he translate speed to power and then power to speed? And does he have bend? And the, what that really is... So bend is, is like flexibility to turn the corner quickly. Bend is how tight of a corner you can turn to get a direct path to yeah. a pass rusher. And basically how much space you need from a tackle in order to be able to make that move. That's going to be like weird like ankle hip flexibility thing that's yeah. kind of un- unquantifiable. It's and hard, when they talk about somebody as being it. like a bendy freak... Yeah, it's really just watching film and then watching uh, combine stuff. Interesting. And you can see someone who has really good bend. Like Von Miller has sick bend. Yeah, I could imagine. Von Miller is the the greatest. Okay, this is a good point for us to talk about kind of um, just because I think scheme-wise, Zach Allen's a great fit, and it's because the Seahawks play a 4-3. So... Um, a lot of teams look at uh, you look at their defense and you, you might say like this guy's not a good fit for the Seahawks because they don't we play a different system right Jacob Martin was someone we drafted that I thought is kind of a, a poor scheme fit because he seems like a three four outside linebacker to me which when he I is. watch him which he is and so a um, couple things let's talk about first just four three so four three means that we line up with four defensive linemen and three linebackers I know probably everyone listening knows that. Um, so, but, so, but do you want to go a little deeper than that? But like, let's go a little deeper because I think on third down, the Seahawks have really changed what they do to flexing out some of these outside linebacker looks and putting guys like Jacob Martin on the field standing up, and it looks way different um, than than in the past. And I think that that that's causes us to maybe evaluate more players than we used to. Um, someone like Josh Allen on Kentucky is someone that I would. He, we're not going to get him because he's going to get drafted. He's going to go in the top five. Gonna, but... he, every draft, every time I see a new draft board, he goes higher. Like <laughs> he somehow he's art. He was at like ten, then he's at seven, six, three. Like he just keeps getting higher up everyone's draft board because he's amazing. It turns out when you're both productive and athletic and play for a crappy school, so like you, it's really <laughs> everyone's like keyed in on you. Like him and Benny, uh, Benny Snell had like the hardest jobs because they had to like be the best, by far the best guy on each side of the ball on a team that was like above average but not good um so (laughs) kevin made a funny face right there uh so so then then uh 
But so you, the, everyone knows you're coming, right? Everyone knows. Everyone knew stop. that they were relying on him for the pass rush. Yes. Yes. Everyone knows, like, hey, this guy's their pass rush. We got. And guess stop what? Him. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Stop. Even when you're talking about some of the top <laughs> offensive line prospects, Alabama had trouble with him. Got sack, like got sacks anyway. <laughs> uh, so, so um, the thing for me is that I want. Uh, we we have, we give these three four looks now that kind of opens up a whole new possibility of players coming to us. And as far as defensive linemen are concerned, um, what I'd like to see is the Seahawks either trade down or or target the guy who falls. So there's some guy in this draft that because three quarterbacks can get picked in the top fifteen picks that don't deserve it is a top ten talent and is going to be available at twenty one. Yeah, something dumb like Clellan Farrell falls and we don't pick him up. I'm going to be pretty pissed. I'll yeah, be honest. Or like Greedy Williams or some. There's some guy. There could be a really talented player that gets pushed. Deep, some defensive line. And the thing is, this is such a deep defensive line draft that I could totally see like. All of a sudden, we're at pick 16, and there's like three guys that are still really good on the board. Uh, Rashawn Gary, Clellan Farrell, and uh, and Ed Oliver are somehow still on the board. And everyone's like freaking out. Like, what is going on? And teams are probably trying to trade up to get in there. And maybe that's when we take advantage, right? Maybe we yeah. trade up for like a King's Ransom because we don't like Ed Oliver. I don't know why we wouldn't, but we we don't like we don't like Rashawn Gary. I was about to say, you know, there are players like Rashawn Gary's like a three-tech. So the question is, is he really going to get a lot of play over like Jaron Reed? Uh, Montez Sweat is much more of a 3-4 outside linebacker. Um, he's really long, and he's going to struggle to get uh, to have the power to handle uh, NFL so, offensive tackles. So for the Seahawks, he's a two-down player at right. best. We're never going to come out in a, in a non-4-3 on first down. Whereas so we'd he, rather have like Ja'Kai uh, Polite out of Florida, who's a little bit bigger and could probably handle it. Right. So it, it, just try to, that's just try where to rob scheme some, changes it up. Try to rob some team moving up to get to get Montez Sweat. Because everyone mocks Montez Sweat to us, but I don't think it's a great fit in in the, in the early rounds because you want your first-round player to play three downs. You don't want your first-round player to play just third down or third and second down. It's, or to try and turn him into an outside linebacker in a 3-4 and play the Bruce Irvin role to try and get three downs out of him yeah, that seems would like a be bad kind idea. of misusing him because he yeah. doesn't have those coverage skills right now. Yeah. So, all right. Um, that's that's kind of uh, where we're at on defensive line. Um, like I said, there's lots of good defensive linemen in this draft. I highly recommend digging into the defensive line. Yeah, especially defensive the, tackle. Like I've never had a draft where I'm, I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five. Watch, I have six to seven defensive tackles watch going that in round one. Ed Oliver tape from the first five games of this year. I know he faded down the stretch, but like that guy. <laughs> but then watch Draymond Jones or how, watch how, Dexter Lawrence. How, These guys are just nuts. Ed Oliver tape from the first five games of this of this season are is like the most insane he's so good watch his freshman tape he's like that's what's weird he's like a, he's a people remember i said uh pono ford's a people mover when we drafted him or we got him and i was like this guy just moves people and oliver moves people people just get out of the way like <laughs> somehow he's moving them all right let's get to linebackers linebackers this year we we evaluated uh, the following players played defensive snaps at linebacker this season shakim griffin austin calitro Barkevius Mingo, Bobby Wagner, Michael Kendricks, KJ Wright, Jacob Martin. So, of these players... Can I, I give it a band name? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, our linebacking core, also known as Bobby Wagner and the Dudes. Yeah, okay, so I, I'm going to say, let's go. Let's start with <laughs> Kevin. We're going to go Stars and Scrubs. Okay, let's start with a star. Okay, I get to everyone's go star. I, I get to go first this time. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. You can go first. You can take No, Bobby. go ahead. Do it. I actually can go in a different direction than Bobby. I know. Go, go for it, though. Okay, Bobby Wagner, 999 snaps. 138 tackles. He only missed two tackles the whole season, which is one of the lowest on the whole defense. Um, he had six tackles for loss, nine quarterback hits. He didn't rush the passer that much, but every time he rushed, he got home, basically. Um, he had 41 run stops, uh, uh, defensed 11 passes, 
And, For the uh, record, 41 run stops is dumb. Forced, to fumble, forced <laughs> two fumbles, got an interception, and had only three penalties. Anything you could ask this guy to do on a football field, he did, and he did it at the absolute highest level. Um, Bobby Wagner is the best linebacker in the NFL, and anyone who doesn't think so is stupid and does not deserve your time. Or so, is Luke Keekley's mom. If some, I'll allow if, that. At this point, if someone said Luke Keekley was better than Bobby Wagner, I'd go, okay, but, like, why? I'm like, so what did he give you for Christmas? Because you're clearly related. Because I don't get it. Like, he... Yes, Keekley was also very good this season. I'm like mm-hmm. I can't even bag on him for this year, but Bobby was just better. Yep. Bobby Wagner was just slightly better. And you could Keekly. say maybe it's injuries catching up to Keekley slowing him down a little bit, but I mean, okay, that happens. Bobby's still chugging along at an excellent level. Yeah. I mean the the biggest difference is Keekley had more run stops, but is a much worse pass rusher. Like mm-hmm. much worse. That's the thing I think that makes Bobby like so so special is that we every once in a while we just send him and he like always makes it you know just like one out of every three times he passed or four times he passed us this year he got to the passer which is a very high rate and the thing that's cool about that is if you look across the last several seasons the amount of times we send him to rush the passer fluctuates from one season to the next but his efficiency stays pretty much the same he gets he succeeds at a very similar rate no matter how much we use that skill He's just really good at it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. I mean, he had a, he was more efficient pass rushing than Aaron Donald. Obviously, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's like a product of opportunity, right? That's he, a dumb stat, but a true stat. But but it's true, so I like it. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna stick with it. Do you know who else was a fashion pass rusher, Kevin? Uh, hopefully, the guy you bring up. Go. Uh, I'm gonna bring up the other person who succeeded. You know, we talked about how with a rookie, you want them to succeed in an area. Jacob Martin. Oh. Was successful as a pass rusher. I thought you were going to go with Jailbird Michael Kendrick. Uh, no, I figured we could bring him up in a minute. I really, I really want to talk about Michael Kendrick Stewart. Um, but Jacob Martin was somebody who popped off the tape in a lot of ways. He did one thing, and that is on clear passing downs, we brought him in to rush the passer. He got three sacks. He got 19 hurries. Um, he actually wasn't terrible against the run. He's just bad in coverage, which I mean, he's going to be. And let's—that's not something he let's, does. Let's make something clear here. This too. is a college this is, defense event. This is the exact guy we're talking about. With the the Seahawks changed the way that they play on third down to include uh, three four defensive ends or three four outside linebackers because Jacob um, Martin stole Barkevius Mingo's job. Jacob Martin is an edge defender. He's an edge defender, and so that means that he's going to play on the outside, but. The Seahawks will let that guy stand up on third down, which opens us up to having someone like Jacob Martin on the team. Because if we asked him to play hands down in a four three, he would probably not be very. A two hundred and forty pound out, uh, two hundred forty pound defensive end in the NFL just gets bowled over. Yeah, he's just like get Jack bulldozed. Conklin would just like launch him into the third row. You know, uh, any solid right tackle would just maul him. Another thing I want to bring up: Jacob Martin, great hair. Um, <laughs> just want to want to throw that out there. Uh, yeah, I, he's I, a handsome I, man. I, I really cannot wait to see how he continues to develop uh, in in that role in that that Leo role that we use on third, second, and third down sometimes when we know they're going to pass. Uh, I think that he has a really good future as like a rotation player in Seahawks, and I really hope that we can hide him good enough that he doesn't really get a big contract. <laughs> I know this is bad for him, <laughs> like I, on a on a personal level. I hope he makes a million, like forty million dollars. Good job by him, but I kind of greedily hope that you know that he we can get him on a kind of budget deal on a second contract because or if we can't then i hope we can hang on to him for three years and get a really good pick for him he does seem like he's trending in the direction that's going to be harder 
it might be hard to keep him by the time. If he flashes six if, sacks, if he somebody's like, going to overpay. Yeah, if he gets like eight sacks next year, we're, we're screwed. Because he got three this year, and, and he, we really didn't bring him along until week thir- you know, 13. He played like a lot of snaps at, at the end of the season, way more than... And especially in the Arizona game, that last game of the season, he played 42 snaps and was pretty good in all of them. All right, I'm going to talk about two players that were the same player. And that is Michael Kendricks and KJ Wright. They were the same guy the entire season. It's just one of them is going to jail and the other one's going to the hospital. Yeah, we got them. We got them both for about a third of a season. They were both pretty effective. They were good in coverage. They played the run well. They were both above average weak side linebackers. Yeah, I thought KJ. No one else was. I thought KJ was a little better than sure. than uh, than Kendricks, but I thought they were they're very similar. Um, I don't. What, what's Michael Kendricks' future hold? Like is, is jail. He, I mean, is he? Is there any chance that we see him play another game in a Seahawks uniform? Uh, I think if he becomes available, the team wants him, and the team's expressed that. I mean, they, his sentencing has been delayed until April. That that news story came out last week. I have no idea what what that means for what us. That means for us, yeah. But Neither do I. But if he can, let me put it this way: if one of his terms for release says employed, he'll be able to get the Seahawks to sign on that. A lot of people are saying that it just means that like there's more un- even more uncertainty with the Seahawks. Um, uh, but I think the team has to situation. move forward like he's gone. Okay, so let's talk about linebacker. Um, oh, so, oh we wanna... need to do disappointments. Oh, yeah, disappointments. So which one of us is going to do I got, Griffin I and which one is going to talk I about Calitro? Shotgun Calitro. Okay, so okay. Calitro for me, um, he is a, a football player. Um, he. Is... What school is he from? Villanova. Yep. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, I can't believe I knew that right off the top of my head. Which is really close to Vanilla, which is kind of what he was. Vanilla is too nice, I think. That's true. Um, okay. He's more like plain yogurt. Vanilla yogurt has some flavor. Plain yogurt kind of tastes sour. Okay. Calitro dropped back to defend passes this year um, on 141 snaps. 141 snaps. He was targeted 32 of those times, which means that teams, when he was on the field... They were like, we're throwing at that guy. That guy is going. We're gonna. We're gonna go after that guy. Twenty-five times he gave up a reception, out of those thirty-two, he had. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gave up two touchdowns. Um, he here's the thing. He was, be, was being asked to be like a like KJ, which is like coverage linebacker. Yeah, okay, or we, Bobby on snaps where Bobby couldn't play. Right. So I and what he did was could not emulate their success at all. But he also couldn't really pass rush very well. Well, I mean, he only got eight pass rush opportunities, and he did get pressures on two of them. I'm unwilling to judge uh, the totality of his pass rush skills. What I'm going to say is that he could that not, was not play... What, that was not what we asked him to do. He could not play any of the three linebacker positions on our team effectively. Yeah. He just... he He's an okay run stopper and a bad coverage guy, which for our system, where we ask our outside linebackers to help in the run game and cover the pass, we don't really ask them to blitz a lot. Like we, said, we just talked about Bobby. Bobby doesn't get to blitz very much. When he does, he's really good at it, but we just don't ask him to do that. Yeah, KJ doesn't really either. KJ doesn't either. Calitro, we didn't need him to blitz. We needed him to cover guys and stop the run, and he was not super effective at either of those. So, he was flat out bad in coverage. Yeah, straight up. So Calitro is he's he's 25 he is probably a really good special teamer i'm gonna assume that's why he was here and he got thrust into a role he was not totally prepared for and that's fine it happens to guys happens to guys all the time so i think that calitro could potentially be a a plus special teamer for us in the future i just hope he never finds his way into the onto the field while being a linebacker all right kevin yeah, um, so Shaquem Griffin, it was a very similar thing. This is a guy who was not ready for his role. 
Uh, we tried to turn him into a weak side linebacker in week one because K.J. Wright's injury forced the need, and that's not what he was ready to play. He's a guy who we talked about has the versatility to back up all three linebacker positions theoretically, but if we wanted him to play right away, and he could then play that we would Jacob, want him... He could play that Jacob Martin role on yes. third down, too, and I think that is like... That's what he was most re- ready to do. Special. He could have been. He could have been good at that right away, but they didn't use him like that. Yeah, and at this point, you made a really good comment before the podcast today. At this point, we're really just hoping that his confidence hasn't been ruined, and because, that because he still feels he can be effective. Because I was lit, an ugly. He got lit up in one of those in the third game. I think the, the third game they realized like, hey, oh no, the Denver game. He got just oh, it was the killed. Denver game. Yeah, he got four, first game. Four receptions for 81 yards and a touchdown. The NFL passers who targeted Shaquem Griffin had a 158.3 rating. And you're right. It was the first game of season in Denver. That was the only game he really played a lot of snaps. And yeah. that's why. He just was clearly not ready. Yeah, so. so that's going to be a storyline to watch over the offseason is, can Shaquem Griffin go into a guy, you know, maybe this is the season he could take over for KJ. But, I mean, we're... I don't want to go into the season with Shaquem Griffin or don't know because that's effectively yeah, two the, I don't know. If the competition is Keem, Shaquem Griffin versus Austin Calitro, like that's a problem. Yeah, that's bad. Um, I and I because Shaquem Griffin's a plus special teamer because we play a four three. Um, I don't want us to go into the off season thinking like we need to go uh, draft a use a high draft pick on a linebacker. We don't need to. A fifth round, a sixth round, four, a seventh three, round pick is fine. Four three linebackers are very undervalued in the NFL unless they're the middle linebacker. Mm-hmm. So I think that we can find a guy on a team friendly deal that is pretty good, like the same way we found Kendricks, um, but maybe without the legal problems. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so like just find a guy who who maybe is is a little uh, you know he's more open, more free. Uh, yeah. there's, there's, these guys are out there and they're not. A late round pick, a UDFA, a free agent who could be put on a team friendly deal, and I wouldn't mind doing two of those three things to put some bodies there because a guy who could play weak side linebacker in a four three is a guy who can play um, a pretty solid special teams role as a tackler. You know, they're not going to play gunner, but they're going to play the middle of the formation and go in and make tackles. So, picking up two of those kinds of guys and having them compete with Shaquem Griffin. And they'd be like, okay, if Shaquem Griffin wins the competition, he's weak side. If he loses the competition, he's a backup there, still a plus special teamer. you know. Or maybe he goes over and competes with uh, Jacob Martin for the strong side linebacker, which the strong side linebacker, which Mingo primarily occupied this year, is a role that I think both Griffin and Martin could theoretically grow into. Yeah. Because that's the one we ask to blitz more often, but we also ask less of it in coverage. Like, they have a very limited coverage job where they need to be able to go into the flats and handle a uh, um, running back. Or they need to be able to put an arm into the chest of a tight end and then kind of follow him up the seam. It's not like the weak side linebacker where we're going to ask them to sometimes cover like a slot wide receiver that's that gets ugly fast when you have a guy like that on the field trying to cover like Julian Edelman or something. Yeah. So I mean, there's lots, lots of yeah, there's just lots of these guys out there that you can we could try to bring in. You know, for a couple million dollars, bring some competition in, see what happens. All right, defensive backs. We're gonna do overall defensive backs. We're just not we're gonna combine safeties and corners. Uh, Trey because Fla- that's how the NFL works now. Trey Flowers, Shaquille Griffin, Justin Coleman, Akeem King, Nico Thorpe, Shalom Luani had eleven snaps. 
Tedrick Thompson, Delano Hill, Brad McDougald, and Earl Thomas were players who received snaps in the secondary for the Seahawks this this year. Kevin, who is your star? All right. I think you're going to surprise me with this one. I have a feeling. It's like this. It's just like gut feeling that you're gonna you're gonna surprise me. You have something that I'm not expecting here. Uh, I would like to talk about Trey Flowers. I knew it. You are you did it. You did what I thought you'd do, which is I out of left field. Trey Flowers. Why did you love so much about Trey's season? So my big thing about Trey Flowers is that he's a player who constantly grew throughout the season. And he was definitely thrown about, to the freaking wolves. Man. Oh man! And after the first game of the season. And the first three or four games on this podcast, you can get audio of me going, this dude cannot turn and cover anyone over the middle of the field. He was victimized by Emmanuel Sanders. Denver game seven, targeted nine times for seven receptions and 124 yards. And then he followed it up in Dallas with four for nine. Uh, So four receptions given up, and it looked like it was going to be a a grim season for Trey Flowers after week two. Oh, it looked like it was going to be ugly all year. And we were sitting there going, why don't we have Maxwell back? This this kid's clearly not ready. And then we started. He just started. He turned it around. You're right. That's it. We started seeing him. You know, he still showed the ability to turn and go upfield with somebody, which was the thing that we saw against uh, Sutton. In the Denver game, where we're like, hey, he has a skill set. It's just not, it's half a skill set. This is bad. All of a sudden, he was in position where a wide receiver had to make a catch. It wasn't just a given. And so he ends the season. Yeah, a couple with, tough games. The San Francisco game was tough. The Green Bay game was tough. But other than that, I felt like he was really good. And again, much if the rest it, of the season. against quicker receivers who can go over the middle and make a move, he struggled a bit. Yeah, Pettis, but, Pettis was able to get away from him too. Like, who's a punt returner? Yeah, um, dude has the all-time Pac-12 record in punt return touchdowns. Yeah. Like that's an elusive guy to cover. If they put him against Golden Tate, that's not good either. So. His coverage grade ended the season at 57.4, um, according to PFF. But you're looking at somebody who made 16 run stops. He played the role of a run defender, and he was a really strong tackler. He has those 10 missed tackles, but some of them came early in the season when he's kind of grabbing at guys. I feel like as the season went along, he was missing progressively fewer tackles. Yeah, 16 run stops is a lot. He had five in the Carolina game and four in the Arizona game. Like, he was able to... Teams that ran, ran a lot against us, he was able to support, especially those teams that outside run. Like, Carolina loves to run sweeps so much to Christian McCaffrey, and he was able to support in those plays and do a really Yeah, he good tackled job. like a safety. And, like, that 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 part of his experience was good. The other thing is he had six passes defensed, which that picked up towards the end of the year as he was able to get his hand on the ball. He didn't end up with any interceptions, but it tells me that he's making better plays. He's starting to remind me a little bit more of, like, Deshaun Shedd, where maybe he's not quite fast enough to make a play and grab it, but he can get in there and use his length to make up for it. And the other kind of weird thing is the three force fumbles. That goes along with the tackling. This guy knows how to go in there and get after a guy who has the ball. He can square up on you. He can lay a hit. He can punch. And so playing like kind of a Brandon Browner role in the defense, only more athletic and less grabby, is uh, that's a player that can af- that can affect the game and can function inside of this defense. I feel very he could be a piece. I feel very confident in, in like Trey Flowers competing for the number two cornerback role next year. 
Um, he seems like a guy who can totally do that. And another, another thing, too, is that San, San Francisco, like we all would agree that that performance in the first San Francisco game was one of his worst of the year. The second San Francisco game, he only he gave, gave up zero catches. So he like learned uh, how to how to beat up Dante Pettis or whatever it was. So, yeah, um, yeah I agree. Trey Flowers is a, has a bright future ahead of him if he keeps working hard. Like he's he's on the right path. Um, my star, my favorite player. You talk about a Earl, player who gets an incomplete. Earl Thomas. Yep. Um, Earl Thomas was excellent this year, oh, like so, so excellent. Um, Earl Thomas in just four games already had three interceptions. He ends up tied for the team lead in interceptions. He uh, he gave up only three catches in those four games. He had twenty one tackles. He had six run stops. He had uh, he had one quarterback pressure. I mean, the guy just did it. He does everything. He does everything well. He's like a, like, just like Bobby, you know, we ask him to do a lot of things and he does all of them really good. Um, and I, I was sad to see him get hurt and it, it sucks that this is, if this is his last game as a Seahawk, that was a, a, not a fun way for it to end for him. No. Uh, for, or for us as fans of his, um, he's not yet 30. He probably will get another contract. I'm going to guess he's looking for a lot of guaranteed money, and that's going to be tough for the Seahawks to justify when they need to give Frank Clark and Russell Wilson new contracts. I hope that he comes back, but if he doesn't, it was a great run, and I think he's you can deservedly call him one of the greatest Seahawks of all time. So that's that's my uh, my take on Earl, Earl Thomas. Um, his pro football focus rating of 91.3 was only a half point behind Bobby Wagner for first on the team. Uh, disappointment. My disappointment, I'm going first, Kevin. Yep. Taking it, um, Justin Coleman. I thought Justin Coleman, oh. going into the season, Justin Coleman was the uh, the best. I thought Justin Coleman was someone I felt rock solid about as one of the top flight uh, nickel corners in the league. And at the end of the season, I felt like there are some things he's really good at, and sometimes teams can totally exploit him. And I don't know how much I, I like that. On a game-to-game basis, he fluctuated wildly from one of the best players on the defense to one of the very worst. And, like, he gave up, you know, 70 yards one week, 16 yards the next week, 98 yards one week, then 22 the next week. You know, it's just like it, it seemed completely random. Teams could Some teams could take total advantage of him. The Rams especially uh, were able to really pick on him in both games for 70 and 98 yards. Um, both his touchdowns he gave up this season were against the Rams. If I remember I, correctly, he came out of the gates pretty strong, right? Uh, well, the first game, no, not not targeted at all, and then the second three, the next three games were all great. And then, yeah, he had like, and then it was like hit or miss, touch and go the rest of the way. Like great against San Francisco and Minnesota, but not so good for the four games before that. Yeah, I feel like when Earl went out. Um, I felt like Coleman got exposed. It was a just bit. it was just inconsistency. Like he's just he was just inconsistent all year. And it, I don't know if it's that some teams see something on tape. I mean, the teams that he did the worst against were like the best teams, right? Like his he he had four games that were like pretty substandard, and they were against the Rams twice and Kansas City were three of them. So maybe it's just that like really good offenses are able to uh, exploit teams over the middle, and there's nothing he can do to stop that. <laughs> You know, that's definitely a possibility. But I just think, like, overall, um, Justin Coleman, I wanted him to be dominant, like, unstoppable. And then just... And he was just, like, above he was just, average. He was just good. He was just good. I mean, I, I'm not going to say he was bad. 
No, he was he was he good. was above average. I mean, uh, his coverage was pretty good. I felt like he uh, With, he really was thing, not uh, a great tackler this another, year, though. Another thing that drives me nuts, yeah, he had eight missed tackles. And here's the thing: we ask him to seal the edge when they when they when they run, and he's not good at it. He's not good when they run and we're in nickel. Like he isn't. He's a pro. He is not exploitable. I mean, maybe that's like the worst thing about it to me. I think that was exacerbated by our issues at linebacker this year, where that meant we pro- we often had two unreliable players trying to handle that scenario. But yes, that was that was a problem. It's trouble like sealing the edge and pinching and it's, I mean, it's something he could, he could look at. He can watch the tape in the off season and figure it out though. It's not it's not something that mentally it's just a mental thing. You know, it's not like skills wise. His physical tools are still great. I think. Well, we had a ton of missed tackles by defensive. Uh, still backs. young to twenty five. Yeah, uh, I don't want to like undermine that either. Like he could still grow a little bit as a player and become the dominant player that I was kind of expecting. But we have a lot of defensive backs with uh, a, a high number of missed and, tackles. And, and for me, maybe and I this feel is, like that's something our team can coach. Maybe this is more of like a product of expectations versus what we got. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. Yeah. Like I can a, see that. Like a, I expected. Well, come on. Just look at how good he was last year. <laughs> last year, he was just <laughs> much better than he was this year. Yeah. So I just thought I, I was expecting more like last year. And then I got this year, which was like slightly worse so yeah especially in the run game all right all right kevin. i'm going chalk kevin you're gonna you're gonna pick um, i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about shaquille griffin okay i figured you would that's why i didn't want to take it so shack shack probably my actual disappointment over coleman so shaquille griffin my issue is not that i think he's bad it's not that i think he necessarily regressed my issue is that i feel like he did not take a step forward and he was pressing he was pressing hard all year because he wanted to be the number one guy, and he got exploited. Can I say a he, lot? He got killed in the playoff game. Like not, yep. not like a we we didn't bring it. And I think that that's like it's a really sour note to end your season on to just get targeted fourteen times in a game and give up eight pass eight catches and and a touchdown. Like they went after him. They were like that guy. In the Dallas game, they're like, "That's our guy. We are going to kill that guy," and they did. Mm-hmm. They they crushed Shaq in that last game. And Shaquille Griffin has played a, an extra NFL season and several more uh, seasons in college at corner than Trey Flowers. His corner um, skills should be much further developed than Trey Flowers' skills. And Shaquille Griffin was put on an island a lot more. And coverage was flexed to be a little gentler towards Flowers and leave Shaq out there. But what it really showed me was we have two number two corners and no number one corners. And that's a problem. We need Shaq to take that step forward. or Otherwise, we need an elite pass rush or we need Earl back. Because you've got to have something to help cover for that. You cannot have two pretty good corners or two solid corners we we need someone to take a step and Shaq seemed like the logical person to have take have make that happen and it just didn't happen he he didn't look as good as he did last year and i think a lot of it was he was trying to bait and kind of play with things and he was going for big plays and i i think a lot of the plays he gave up were was him pressing he was trying to do too much instead of just play yeah. So he needs to cool it. He needs to come back and be ready. And he could still grow into a true number one corner. He wasn't this year, though. Yeah. All right. Um, 
And this is a position that we all want to see addressed. Okay, so we all we all agree that you know the Seahawks are probably going to target a safety or a cornerback in in the draft. Um, I I like some of the more obvious ones. Kevin, give us some of your your kind of middle middle round or you know you have guys that are first second round uh, third round guys that you're looking at. Who all right, at? so the guy I really like who's going to be uh, probably late first early second out of Penn State is Amani Arwarie. Um, he's six one. He's got length. He's uh, got a lot of quickness. The guy is uh, so in corner speak. You talk about being able to flip your hips, which is when a wide receiver breaks on a route. That's your ability to quickly pull out of your back pedal and turn and run with someone. So that's basically your the harder of a time you have flipping your hips, then the more cushion you have to give a receiver, which makes you more vulnerable to uh, in breaking or short routes. Um, Arwarie is plus in that area. So I think as a guy who you're looking at maybe putting on an island, he was asked to do that a lot at Penn State, and he's a guy who showed that he can. Um, two guys who are probably going to be a little later, like maybe in the third round, which I know we don't have a third round pick, but that means Yet. they might move up into the second. That means we might move into the third. Or like maybe they'll end up being worth that 21st pick in the second round or whatever our pick is there. Or if they slide into the fourth. So one is Rockison out of Temple, who went to, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of it. It was like Presbyterian or something. He went to uh, like he went to a D2 college and was a grad transfer because they closed down the football program at his school. He went to Temple. Uh, Temple's got this thing where if you earn a single digit jersey, that means like your vote, that's like basically voted by the other defensive players. It means that you're considered like one of the leaders on the defense so he's there for one year he's got the measurables that you want he will play the run he's a guy who could be a the type of corner that we like a lot and i think his coverage skills translate and the other one is juan thornhill out of virginia who who's kind of another safety corner hybrid guy but he just was really really consistent in the acc which has really good players for a virginia team that when he got there wasn't much and i think uh thornhill's a player who could end up sliding down draft boards but has much better ability than necessarily he's getting credit for all right um so i'm gonna talk about a guy that is divisive in nfl circles um some people love him top some people say top five talent some people say not even first rounder and kevin i think is one of those people and i like Deon i like deontay thompson um he is like the physicality they ask him to play like single high safety a lot, which is like what the Seahawks would ideally, I think, want to do. Um, and he is good at it. <laughs> um, he's a, he has a lot of physical tools, and most of his weaknesses are are mental things that I think Pete Carroll run uh, secondary guru could fix. So that's why I like I think Deont- Deontay Thompson, if he actually does drop, if he if he doesn't end up getting picked in the top ten by some team. Then uh, I think he'd be he'd be awesome as a Seahawk. I don't love um, him at twenty one, but if we could trade back and still get him, I'd feel lovely about yeah, that. People have him because he's a lot of talent, but I don't know if he's a ready player. And depending on the mock draft you look at, you'll see him all over boards. Oh you'll, yeah, you'll see some people take him sixth. You'll see some people take him fifteenth. You'll see some people who don't have him in their first round mock at all. So it's he's a very divisive player, and I think um, I don't know. I think he's. I mean, he got thrown into the fire in his. 2017, they his first two games were the Clemson game and the national title game. Yep, and the, and he performed really well and did not he get, did not give up a single reception in either of those games. So for me, 
And he almost picked the first pass in the Clem- in the Clemson game. So I don't know. I'm I'm into it. I think he's I think he's good. Uh, all right. And I could see him proving out in the long run. I just I really wish he would have stayed in for another year in college. Yeah. It's he probably. But I mean, he's gonna get picked in the first round anyway, so it's probably fine. I guess. All right, that's that's our uh, our de- our defense uh, review. Our defensive deep dive. Um, yeah, in the off season and just off season plans. Let me just talk generally. I think that the team should bring in a cornerback to compete on the outside. Uh, I think Coleman's fine. I think he's good enough. We we're fine there. Uh, a, maybe a safety if Earl doesn't come back. We're gonna need a safety for sure. A linebacker and a defensive end. The defense needs help. I think we all agree. Just just dudes. Not necessarily like the the, the good players are really good. And we need depth, which will also affect depth. our special teams and coverage units, which was another weakness. We had a lot of injuries this year, and it, it really showed. We also need speed. Mm-hmm. I feel like we shouldn't sacrifice team speed. That's something that was a hallmark of our really good defenses, was that we Swarming flew to, to the, the ball, ball. Yeah. and we laid hits. So, yeah, I agree. I want a corner. And the two things I want to spend high on are a corner and a pass rusher. Oh dang! This is like a really this this podcast is gonna be like an hour and a half because we are going we're going deep in the movie club. All right, here we go. Uh, money's Let's do on. it. It's for fifty minutes, Kevin. Uh, money's on. Uh, if you would like to support the CX Nest podcast, you can head over to Patreon.com/slash Seahawks Nest for as little as dollar twenty four a month. You can get access to our in season uh, betting picks and our out of season uh video profiles so uh Which eric won the picks podcast there i said it anyway he did not win though <laughs> he lost by one uh but but eric wanted to us to all be clear that he won for some reason uh, <laughs> uh then then uh if you'd like to oh uh, if you don't have money and you want to support the cxness podcast kevin threw me off right there you get over to itunes stitcher soundcloud uh go ahead and throw us five stars a like uh plus one whatever you do there and uh it helps us keep going and get help more people find the podcast. All right, movie's on. It's perfect for this week because this movie is on ice, baby. This movie is uh, is ice cool. We watched so okay. Lately, we've been doing shorter movie clubs because we've been doing more current movies, and then we feel like we don't want to spoil them because you so, might run out and watch it. Because you might want to actually watch it. So this time we were like, you know what? Screw that noise. Let's do something that we can, like, blow out. We can spoil every aspect of it because the movie's, like, 30 years old. And we're going to get to our roots on this one, too. <laughs> so so we we started Movie Club with what, Bloodsport, baby. Bloodsport. We, we started... Uh, the bulk of our early movies were 80s and 90s action trash. And we're back. We're back, baby. We're back. Back with Sudden Death, starring John claude Van Damme and Powers Booth. Okay, if you have not seen this movie, it is... Look, the one sentence description is this movie is Die Hard with John Claude Van Damme instead of Bruce Willis in a hockey arena. The it's, slightly longer one is this is a movie called Sudden Death that takes place during a hockey game that goes to sudden death. While the video screen says sudden death and the announcer says sudden death. So, Kevin, <laughs> masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. It is okay. a masterpiece. All right, let's 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 start with this. The movie opens with John Claude Van or It opens with there's a building on fire. And you hear JCVD, and he's like, "I got a little girl. I need some help. I need some help." <laughs> and then, and then, and then the building collapses on him, and he's like, "I can't move. I can't move." And then he, they show like him getting them peeling the like burning building off him, and he looks down, and the little girl is dead. Although it's no longer like an actor; it's like a doll or something. We it's could like, not tell if it was supposed to be he thought there was a girl there, and it was a doll. 
or if it was actually supposed to be a little girl, Nathan had to Google it. Yeah, I had to Google if that was a, <laughs> it was weird, man. Like, I, I couldn't tell if, like, he was, like, supposed to think that, like, oh, this doll was, he thought the doll was a little girl and he's crazy, or if, like, he, if the, if the little girl died. It was the second one. The now, girl now I will say the doll was still a better child actor than the kids in X-Men Origins Wolverine. Or, or, uh, Hurricane Heist. Or Hurricane So, Jean-Claude Van Damme smash cut we just smash cut straight to a scene where he's outside of a house talking to his divorced wife and the best part about this scene is two things <laughs> one dinner. one okay his his wife he like holds up he's like hey i got tickets to the big game it's game seven of the stanley cup finals and his wife is like who cares we have dinner tonight it's like what are you talking about this is <laughs> everyone in town would know and then and then her her well, husband, this is supposed to be new, Bo- uh, Boston, too, isn't it? So no, it's, it's Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Or Pittsburgh, and it's the Penguins in the final. So this is a big Game deal. Game seven, too. Game and, seven. And, and his husband goes, her her new husband goes, hey, uh, those look like Penguins tickets. And the weirdest thing about the new husband is they never show him on screen at the same time as anyone else. So they just show his face. Like, it's just his <laughs> head in the frame, like, speaking from off camera, which makes me think that they filmed those scenes way after the movie was done because they were like, the scene doesn't totally make sense. Like, is it clear that those are Penguins? wins tickets i know what we'll do we'll put a narrator in we'll put and we'll a make him we'll, the we'll other the, dad we'll have the new dad be the the date so then so then that scene very odd uh so in this they start building this tension thing where um the little boy and the little girl are always fighting but they're fighting about whether their dad is a real firefighter or not yeah and also like the the kids like the kids like kind of like 10 maybe 12 and he's like his dad's not a hero and he's a coward and that's why he can't be a firefighter anymore and little girl's like six and so she's still like my daddy's the best and you're a big butthead that kind of thing so it's 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 very it's very tense so next they reveal the villains the villains are all in the in a warehouse and they have like popcorn bags and uh, like different things that you'd see at a hockey game and they're like loading them up with like c4 explosives and stuff so they can sneak them into the stadium and then powers booth comes in with a with a pittsburgh penguins doll and a a stuffed penguin and an an egg timer and he turns on the egg timer and everyone just like looks at each other and then runs away and like splits out of the warehouse like that was his signal that's because powers booth means business His signal, his signal was, I'm going to set an egg timer on this table. That's when we need to leave. And then once all the synchronized cars leave, it goes back into the warehouse and shows the stuffed penguin being blown up because that that was needed. Okay, and then so then we go to the hockey game. JCVD's getting his kids into the hockey game and his daughter... <laughs> Wait, what about the old lady scene? Oh, that's that's later. That's late. Okay. Uh, so his daughter, his daughter is doing this weird thing with a uh, with stamps, like she, a heart stamp. She she puts stamps on the on the doorman's hand, and then everyone's like, "Hurry up, we're waiting in line over here." And he's like, "Hey, stop it! I'm getting a stamp." <laughs> like like as if it's like something cool to do. But his this this becomes a subplot in the movie, and his you know daughter, it's going to be. It's like the kid leaving the water all everywhere in signs. His daughter starts giving people stamps all the time for for no reason. Which okay, one I gotta know. This is not a thing that was, like, a thing in the 90s, was it? I didn't miss this. Uh, little kids, if they are given a stamp set, will give everyone stamps. Okay. because That's a thing. My son your, would... ch- your son's not old enough yet, but in that, well, like, 5 to 7 range, if you if you give them something to stamp with, they will stamp themselves and everyone else. My son goes to the baby gym, and he, like, gets stamps when he's done at the baby gym. They put, like, stamps on, like, his feet and stuff. Okay. Um, okay. They're conditioning him for this. And then they... Then you're they gonna go... be re- you're going to be in good shape if Powers Booth ever kidnaps your kid and then tries to escape. They go into the uh into the locker room and the intentional comedic height of the movie when he has that conversation with luke robitaille <laughs> and, and, he, and so so 
obviously uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme speaks French, so he speaks French to Luke Robitaille, and then Luke Robitaille says something like very vulgar in French back to him, like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna we're, beat their asses" or something like uh, that. I think we said we're gonna f him in that. <laughs> so, yeah, something like, like that. that. And then and then his son goes, "What did Luke Robitaille say?" And he's like, "Uh." Nothing, son. <laughs> He's like, he said they're going to win. Uh, and then that was like the intentional comedic cut of the movie. Also, at this point, the little girl has gone off with the penguin's mascot, which is like, uh, it's a woman in a, in a costume that's friends with JCVD. The JCVD consistently encourages his child to sexually harass. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, so yeah, then we, then they, then the kids meet this old chef. And he's like, check it out. Look what I can do. And he like throws a knife up in the air and chops an onion in half. And he's like, that's why no one messes with me. It's like really weird. And um, Nathan at this point is convinced they have set up the cook to be a badass. Yeah, I thought the cook was going to do something cool in the movie. And then, so then there, there's this weird subplot where this, uh, it's like knockoff George Michael has an ear with an yes, earring. Yes, a single earring, like uh, George Michael's failed stuntman. He, he's like capturing an old lady to threaten the chef. Uh, yeah, it's the it's the chef's wife, but you don't know that at the beginning, right? And they kind of take a minute before they do this, and then and then they kill. The, he ended up just as soon as the wife he has the wife make call the chef and tell them like you'll know what to do when it's time. And then as soon as she hangs up the phone, he just shoots her in the head. He's like, "Yep, you're dead now." And like he doesn't. <laughs> Your part's over. And then um, so there's a yeah. So the then we get the kids to the seats. And the movie uh, really starts to take off. That's uh, because even if the building is falling down, you stay in your seat. Well, that's not that's that's later. Well, he he does it now, but he really does it later. Yeah, he, he comes back he, multiple times. Jean Claude Van Damme tells his son he needs to stay in his seat, uh, where because he's gonna go do. Well, his both seat. kids, but the son is the one who really takes it to heart. Yeah, and you'll see why. Oh yeah, and I forgot that there's a part where Jean Claude Van Damme changes the light bulb, and he's and the son's like, "Is that what firemen do now? Change the light bulbs?" Because <laughs> son's like talking mad shit to him. Yeah, for no reason. Yeah, it's uh, both his kids are. <laughs> Kind of dicks in most of this movie. Well, and then it, so then his son he they get to his seat and he, he his dad's like what's that and his son's like nothing and he has like a squirt gun tucked into his belt. Yeah, like, one of those mini super soakers that is made to look like the old super soaker one hundreds, but it but it's the one that's like the size of like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So anyway, the <laughs> what ends up happening is is the the his daughter goes to the bathroom because she's mad at the brother because she squirted her in the face. The daughter when she's in the bathroom she witnesses the mascot. Icy? Icy is the name of the mascot? Yes. He, she witnesses Icy murder someone. Uh, and then No. Nope. Yep. She, she, she witnesses the girl who she knows is in the suit. No, no, no. It's a different person. They find that girl later. They do? It's like a concession stand worker. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was just like random concession stand worker. She witnessed... Icy murdered her. So then Icy goes to shoot the little girl, which is like bad news, right? These are bad guys that they're going to shoot. By the way, kids. game seven of the Stanley Cup finals, women's locker, women's restroom, nobody's in it except for these two people. By the way, that would never we've happen. left something completely out, which is that the whole subplot is that they're going to try to kidnap the vice president and force him to do stuff for them. Yeah. The, Sorry. Uh, the, that's <laughs> not who is, important, who is, though. Who is attending the game. The vice president is attending the game. Oh, and they make a bunch of are you voting Republican jokes. Oh, my gosh. So like, there are a lot of are you voting Republican jokes. Actually, it was like. Actually, they left it intentionally vague. They were like, "Are you voting for my party?" <laughs> but like, it was ne- he never came out and said whether he was Republican or Democrat. I w- I like was waiting for it. They specifically mentioned uh, a lot of uh, like, "Did you vote?" Like, there's like two spots where they say it right at the beginning when he's like showing up to the stadium. It was very annoying. Okay. It's weird. So then, so it turns out that icy has been replaced by like a like a bad guy, right? And the, so the icy, since she saw the murder, excuse me, bad woman. Bad woman, yeah, right. Sorry, she's gonna take the little girl up to the up to the presidential suite. She's like, gotta get get rid of her. So she tells her she's gonna kill her mom if she screams. Yeah. So now, 
So now JCVD figures this out and is now chasing around the ma- uh, the mascot. He's trying to chase her down. But he's- still thinks the mascot is his friend who's normally in the mascot. Right. He knows the mascot. So he's like, maybe she just took him in here for a reason. He's just chasing around the d- daughter. So the daughter <laughs> gets taken up to the vice president's room. Okay. It's taken up to the VP's room with the hostage shaker. So now the daughter is has made it into into the room. Okay. Then, <laughs> then now... JC, the mascot comes back down and pulls a gun on JCVD, and it's on, dude. We are fighting a mascot in a kitchen, and this is where the movie like really took off for me because because the action was good, the, okay, or was enjoyable. Okay, it, here's the thing: this movie, the action in this scene. If you thought like, okay, JCVD is gonna fight someone in a mascot suit, but they'll have like some respect for you as an audience member, and they will play it comedically. You're wrong, and if you thought. <laughs> Hey, maybe they'll have some respect for you. And if they're going to play it serious, they'll at least take the head off the mascot suit so it looks like a person. You're wrong. It's J- JCVD fighting a, a freaking Disney character. Like a, like a person a, in a, a suit. Giant, a giant penguin he mascot. Punches, he punches the penguin in the face. <laughs> and, and not the woman in the penguin outfit. The penguin. Yeah. Like, and so, like he headbutts the penguin. The penguin tries to... The penguin, the penguin, which I'm supposed to have a straight face, super serious music is playing, <laughs> is trying to chop his face with a deli slicer. We're all dying laughing, I'm trying to. I'm way. trying not to laugh because the, the And movie, then tries to deep fry him. Right. She tries to deep fry him, but he ends up deep frying her hand. Then he puts her head, the mascot head, into a fan, which the top of it gets all messed up. And then <laughs> it he, cuts off the eye of the mascot. He ends up killing her by pushing her into like a... It's like a dishwashing Industrial machine, dishwasher. But the, the thing gets caught in her neck, so it's choking her, and she dies in the dishwasher. A very slow-moving dishwasher. Oh, and he threw chili flakes in her eyes. That was a really good yeah, part, Yeah, that too. was a good part, too. <laughs> yeah, he, he, when he was going to get a, a, a shoved in, like, the like a hibachi, I right. think. He was going to get cooked, and he threw chili powder in her eyes. So so then, yeah, so then, he, so then he's, like, all good. He killed her, but he doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know where his daughter is, so he's met, really worried. So he walks into a bathroom, and he... Th- throws a does he throw a punch or does he throw something at the mirror oh, that was a punch yeah he punches the mirror and it's all broken and this old guy comes in and goes oh calm down they'll get the win yes <laughs> <laughs> of course so stupid so then in the height of improbability when only two of the guards in the stadium are bad guys guess who he finds in order to tell them that the mascot is dead in the kitchen and his daughter's missing it's the bad like as soon as well, I saw bad guys. as soon as I saw that guy too I was like he goes to the security guard and he's like my daughter she's missing you know and he's supposed to be an American but he's got like the thick Belgian accent like always and then uh, he, of course it's the bad guy so then yeah. and, it's the, and we know it's a bad guy because he has a bad 70s porn mustache yeah. so we knew it's the same guy from before he looks yeah he's very um, so anyway uh, yeah they, they brawl in the same kitchen but they gotta change it up so he's like putting the guy's face in dry ice over and over to torture him into telling him where his <laughs> daughter is and then, and then he's, he finally gets in his position where he's gonna kill him and he stabs him in the neck with a chicken leg or something yeah he, he stabs him <laughs> with a chicken leg because it's another fight in the kitchen um, so then, yeah, then they, they went back down in the kitchen and the body disappeared. Then they reveal like what Powers Booth is up to. He's like, he works for the Secret Service. He in the counterfeit division. He wants to get some of that fake money. So the vice president is going to put the money into his account. And then they start like blowing up cars in the parking lot and doing a bunch of weird stuff. Yeah, there's some really um, weird crossover with Secret Service. They try to here. they try to like helicopter guys into the stadium, but they. <laughs> they but George have, Michael has a rocket launcher. Yeah, they have George Michael has now taken a position on top of a building with a rock. 
rocket RPG. Just yeah, and, and so he takes a big swig of Coca-Cola and sets it down. I forgot about that. And then shoots him with a rocket launcher. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Knock off George Michael's the worst. So then um, Van Damme like, is like pilfering all these materials from like offices and stuff. Oh man, he like, MacGyver's the crap yeah, out of things He's like becoming movie. like MacGyver. Um, yeah, I don't know which MacGyver moment is the best. Then <laughs> I would say when he makes the bomb Then all of a sudden, on. so then they try to, since they were trying to sneak guys in to get revenge, they... A Zamboni drop with a bunch of dead people in it. <laughs> yeah, a, a bunch of Secret Service agents go in, and uh, uh, like it, it zooms into the suite where they have the security camera, and as Powers Booth is like, we should probably like we should probably go say hello or something like that, and then all of a sudden a stray Zamboni comes out of the uh, comes out of the stadium Go and with runs dead, dead into people. the barricade and dumps a load of dead people from the Zamboni. Because that's a scene we all needed. Then John Claude Van Damme needs to get a message to the outside, so he goes to like a video reader board, and uh, and he's like saying like what's going on inside on the the video reader board outside the stadium, (laughs) which then then knock off George Michael shoots it with a with a rocket launcher. (laughs) I forgot about that. It's just like so okay. So then in the very next scene. Uh, JCVD gets like betrayed by one of like a guy who says he's Secret Service. Yeah, the lead Secret Service guy who's been like handling all the outside business comes in to help him because JCVD at this point has gone to try and uh, uh, start like disarming all the different bombs. So he uses his first MacGyvered weapon, Kevin, to kill someone in this scene. What is it? Um, it's, oh, it's a condom. Condom blowgun. Condom dude. <laughs> he builds. A, he makes like a blowgun out of a condom. He like he like has it on his waist. He's like, uh, sorry. I'm uh I'm I my hands are up because like a guy has a gun on him and he just pops this like condom blowgun and <laughs> shoots the guy in the neck and he dies. <laughs> it's so great. In the meantime, it keeps going back to his kid in the seat, who's, like who's, who's like won't having move. A, who's having an argument with like a Secret Service guy and he, he won't leave the seat. And then the I like the super fan they have. They he has like a puck on his head and it says puckhead and then it and then um he's got like the full face paint he's like down in front <laughs> yes. i didn't pay to watch you yeah the heckler's turning on the secret service guy because he won't go with him but then how does he kill that double cross secret service guy do you remember that he has the super soaker filled with zippo lighter fluid and, a, That's right. and he shoots it at him with a lighter in his hand and he, he lights his face on fire <laughs> so then we the whole time Powers Booth is like threatening people and like murdering the mayor, murdering the mayor's wife, doing all this stuff in the... Because he's going to kill one person at the end of the first period, one. two people at the end of the second period, and the whole stadium at the end of the third period if he hasn't had this money transferred to like an offshore account or something. Right. So then at some point, the little girl stamps the head, the Powers Booth in the hand. It's so... It, like uh, Yeah, they're having like this exchange where there's like, uh, where she's like telling her, him that her daddy can beat him up, blah, blah, blah. Or whatever and like he grabs her and she stamps him <laughs> yeah and it's like really weird um so then at this point he sends a couple people to go get jean-claude van damme because jean-claude van damme is going around and disarming all his c4 uh and then so this is like another point in the movie where something happens that is completely out of character for this movie jean-claude van damme escapes the chase by dressing up like the goalie because he'd already dropped and when they were in the locker room earlier, that he played junior hockey goalie in Canada when he was a younger man. Then he ends up on the ice. They put him into the game. Uh, he's playing in the game. He makes the save of the year. And then once he makes the save, he does like this dumb sign language thing that he does all throughout the movie to his son. So that his son will know. 
Uh, I was in the hockey game, son. Yes. <laughs> no, I don't know. It's so weird. <laughs> it's it's just this whole weird side plot where he plays goalie. Then he's got to get off the ice because he's got to save everyone. So, so he, he right hooks the defenseman yeah. for the other team. He just comes up behind the other guy and just punches him straight in the in the head. And then um then he goes back in the in the room and he's fighting in like the full yeah, goalie gear. He fights gear. in full goalie gear. Yeah. That's <laughs> sweet. Uh he Because he, he hits the guy with the stick first and then he like kicks him with skates. He, he does a back kick while he's in skates, which seems really dangerous. And then he, he kills a guy with like that stamping machine that you use to like make the little rivets and like uh shoelaces and stuff. Just stamps it right through his, his hand and kills him. Um <laughs> kills a guy with a hockey skate sharpener. There's a weight room fight. <laughs> it's crazy. The weight room fight was really good. Anyway, we end up with sudden death overtime, which which Powers Booth is like, looks like you got a little extra time. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then they say sudden death like 14 times in one minute. Yeah. Like, no joke. The, the word sudden death is said so many times. And JCVD starts making like an IED, which we have no idea what it's for, but he's making like an improvised <laughs> explosive device out of like a, a mason jar with powdered sugar and it, I don't know. Some stuff. Somehow he knows how to do this from his fireman training. I'm not 100% <laughs> sure. So then he decides, I'm going to free climb up the building with just bungee cords. Then he throws two people off the building, which gets the full Wilhelm scream treatment. Yeah. Much to Nathan's delight. Oh, I hate the Wilhelm scream. Then And then, like, the roof opens and closes. I don't know if that's real or not. I guess it is. And then yeah, it has a retractable roof, and apparently they open it, and no one notices it's open. So they, so he, when he, one of the guys he throws in, he throws him into the video board, which just starts blowing up. Just like yeah, it turns out that human flesh makes video boards blow up, it, dude. And it's like really blowing up. Not like <laughs> oh, this is kind of. It's like they're sparks flying everywhere and stuff. So then everyone freaks out, and uh, and is leaving. But JCVD's like dropping in on his stupid bungee cords, and he like swings on like a light. Doesn't he grab like a light? Yeah, he grabs a light and then swings from the light over onto like he throws his IED through the through the like the the president's booth. Yeah, he create he, he explodes the top of the booth, so there's a hole in the top, and then he drops through into the booth. Dude, it's psychopathic. Like no person would do this, no matter how much they cared about their kids. <laughs> and then, and then, so he saves his daughter, and Powers Booth puts on like a really cheesy disguise, like blonde hair, blonde mustache, to get away. And then, so he, he goes with his daughter. He gets his daughter back. He goes to get his son. His son has the best line in the movie. What is Kevin? What does he say? I can't remember. He says, I didn't move, Dad. That's right. I didn't move. Because everything's blowing up around him. Everyone's running from... And he's just looking around like, I'm not supposed to move, guys. (laughs) Oh, it's so dumb. Then his daughter gets kidnapped again. She successfully identifies that it's Powers Booth. Why? Because she stamped his hand. hand. (laughs) She says, that's the bad guy, Dad. And so then she goes to go towards him, but he doesn't notice right away. So now she's kidnapped by Powers Booth again. Um, they fight on the roof. Yeah, well, Powers Booth runs off with her. To uh, the roof. To the roof to board the helicopter yeah. for the getaway. They're, they're going to get away in a helicopter. She's, like, hanging off a grate over the stadium. And she's got grip strength like she, a champ. Dude, she pull-ups her. She climbs the grate and pulls herself up over the edge. Like, this little seven-year-old is ripped, dude. She does not skip Presidential's fitness challenge, she's mastered. She's shredded, bro. So she hung on that grate for so long, too. <laughs> like, it was such a long time. Um, so JCVD grabs onto the, uh, um, to the rope ladder. Yeah, knockoff Bolton gets into, rescues, uh, Powers Booth in the helicopter. And yeah, JCVD grabs the rope ladder. Yep. And so now he's hanging onto the bottom of the rope ladder and, uh, Powers Booth is like talking to knockoff George Michael like, ha, we got away, yeah. And then JCVD, 
uh, pulls his pistol that he's obtained during all of this and fires through the bottom of the helicopter. Just random, like, three shots. Just random shots. And shoots up the guy sitting next to Power's booth who's like, oh, no. And then he shoots the pilot. Three shots up through the pilot. And the pilot gets shot and falls backwards and pulls the stick all the way back. Yeah, And then, and then we get the slowest death scene oh my God. in movie the, history. The helicopter is, is slowly moving through the hole in the stadium. And I guess they did this with a, <laughs> with a crane. So and that's clearly that, done with a crane. That's how, that's how they... It looks so bad, though. The, the helicopter goes straight down in a straight line at like negative three miles an hour. Like it's like so Full slow. 90 degree angle tail down. Cause it's the only way they could fit it through that gap in the stadium. <laughs> like it's so stupid. And then they, they slowly going down and then it hits the ice. And, and, just, and powers booth is trying to like reach up to move the stick forward. And then like a full, probably 10 seconds before it blows up, it just shows him in the windscreen of it going, no, and then it goes out of the stadium and then it blows up and then it shows it in the stadium blowing up and then it goes back out of the stadium and shows it blowing up again. All right. So that, and then that's the end of the movie. They, they, their dad's a real fireman. Yeah, it was sudden death. All right. Um, so uh, overall rating, you know, this movie is a great time. If you can handle watching something that is unfathomably stupid, you'll love it. 1.5 out of 5. <laughs> yeah, I'm right about the same. Uh, the only thing I will say is did not live up to his name. Powers Booth death wasn't sudden. Okay. Then, okay, yeah, it was not. It was slow as death. It was slow death. Okay, some trivia for you guys. Uh, Yarmer Yager was really unhappy that the hockey player playing, uh, wearing his number on the ice was, uh, give him, the, the opposing team scored all three times when he was on the ice, giving him a, a <laughs> negative three plus minus. Um, the real Penguins announcer, Mike Lange, is in this movie, and he used his trademark sayings, scratch my back with a hacksaw and Carl Arnold Slick in Turtle Crick. Yeah, the announcing's really bad. So if you're a Penguins fan, you have a really bad announcer. Sorry. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, and Bruce Willis were all considered for the, the lead role before JCVD got the part. Schwarzenegger turned it down because he'd already filmed two movies back-to-back recently. Stallone turned it down because he thought the script sucked. And Willis turned it down because he was already in Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, Stallone, smartest of them all. Yeah, Stallone, is, Stallone got it. Um, he clearly read the script. So Jean-Claude Van Damme recruited the director because the, at first the director didn't like the idea of the film at all. Um, Smart director. The first, uh, what's, what else? Um, he d- there's no fights for the first like 40 minutes of the movie, which... Um, That's yeah. a record for a JCVD movie. Uh, Powers Booth's character's name is never mentioned throughout the whole film. Which, uh, which is why I called him Powers Booth the whole time. Yep. Because they literally don't mention him um, at all. Uh, and then, oh, Jeff, uh, the, the guy who sings the national anthem at the beginning of the movie, Jeff Jimerson, he sang the national anthem for the Pittsburgh Penguins for 15 years before he, uh, he did a good job. Yeah. Solid anthem there. Um, Powers Booth. Oh, here's a good one. Powers Booth. He, uh, he played the vice president in 24 in this movie. He kidnaps the vice president. Maybe it's a sequel. (laughs) It's a, it's a sequel. (laughs) <laughs> uh, there's lots of little continuity errors and stuff, but that's basically it. Okay, and then the last thing. You ready for the last piece of trivia, Kevin? Um, he... Oh, then um, the last piece of trivia. You ready? Yep. Before we get Eric's Eric's thoughts. Um, is that there's an audiobook of the novelization of this movie, and the audiobook is read by Powers Booth. Uh, so, the next Patreon purchase that we'll be making... Is we will find a way, dude. I cannot. To, to I can If I can get my hands book. on this, I would pay probably five, hundreds of dollars for this. Like, <laughs> I would pay literally like dozens of cents for this. Okay. 
All right. I think it'd be hilarious because there's no way it's it, okay. All right. Eric's comments. Sudden death. It's an imitation of Die Hard on every level, but with weird twists. Instead of a down on the luck cop helping from the outside, you have a high ranking fireman who's actually, oh, high ranking cop who's actually in on the plan. Uh, so like instead of, um, so the cop is a bad guy in this movie, but in the other movie, the cop is, uh, Carl Winslow. Instead of, <laughs> instead of foreign terrorists stalking Bruce Willis, it's a mercenary in the mascot's outfit whose death was the second funniest part of the movie. The funniest part of the movie, the end where Alan Rickman played by Powers Booth falls to his death while in a character. <laughs> and one last thing, Powers Booth in disguise is any man why, whenever he puts on a fake mustache. Very stupid looking. I could not agree more, especially because the hair color was different than his natural hair color. It's really bad. It looks he looks odd. like uh, he looks like he got hair extensions. Um, it's <laughs> okay. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna do something that we're gonna do in, in most movie clubs from this point forward, which is to read. Uh, a few reviews from the website Letterboxd, okay? So the first one's one I blatantly ripped off. Yeah, but we're not going to read that one. Okay. Van Damme punches a chick dressed in a penguin suit in the face. Automatic five stars from me. That's a <laughs> Groove Man uh, gave us that one. And then um, it says, It's a shame that not every Van Damme vehicle is directed by Jean Womb or the Hyams family, which I completely agree. Because Hyams also did Time Cop, which is like a team up that they had. All right. Um, Rand- another great line in this movie Randy we got a clearance on a Mr. Icy <laughs> remember that it's oh. Mrs. Icy yeah and then she goes it's Mrs. Icy okay for Kevin for Eric we will see you next week please watch Sudden Death and tell us how much you hate us for making you watch it <laughs> <laughs> and go Hawks <laughs>